Podcast number one, Michael Nyland. <laughs> Who is Michael Nyland and what is Michael Nyland? That is the question. That's a good question. Is all right. So this is my first podcast. Uh, what's the day today? Sixteenth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now it's two in the morning. Tuesday the sixteenth. It is two three o'clock in the morning. Perfect time for a podcast. All right, Michael. You wanna you wanna explain who you are? A little bit about yourself. A little backstory. Um. Yeah. Uh, my name's Michael Nyland. I grew up in San Diego, California. Moved around um, from Arizona to the East Coast, and then uh, from the East Coast back. Uh, I've been cooking since I was ten years old, and. Um, I've branched out to different restaurants, and now I currently work at Tom Ham's Lighthouse. Branched out. I love that word. That's great. <laughs> so what are you up to nowadays, man? Um, well, you know, as you know, because you're my roommate. <laughs> okay, so technically I do know what he's up to, but I just wanted to fucking ask him for the sake of this podcast. What are you up to, Mike? You use foul language on podcast? Yeah, my podcast, we do. We do whatever we want in my podcast. Oh, fair, good for you. Here's that. <laughs> All right. Um, when I got back from the East Coast, yeah, I uh, started working at Tom Hams, and then from there, I actually fell into um, vaping. Yeah. Um, now, what what is, for, for people who don't know exactly what vaping is, what is vaping? Um, so pretty much... How would you explain to someone who knew nothing about vaping? Really, realistically, what it is, is vaping is an alternative to people who want to stop the use of smoking. It's not a solution. It's just an alternative. And the overall goal is to not use nicotine anymore and no longer need it. Um, so, you know, when I tell people that I vape, you know, it's mainly that I introduce myself as like a... Um, the trickster, because that's that's what I do. I upload my tricks to social media, and it's very awesome. I get to go to work and cook, and I get to come home, and I get to live a different lifestyle where I get to do tricks, and I have sponsors, and I'm actually starting my own clothing line too. So, it's really cool. so now, vaping to people, you gave the definition. What is vaping to you? Um, vaping to me, it's you know, it's I've I've come from you know different communities like such as like the car community or the chef community things like that. Vaping is just another community, and for me, um, by the way, I've known this kid, jack of all trades, <laughs> sports, cooking, cars, whatever the fuck you want to do, name it. Uh, He's on it. Instruments, like yeah, instruments. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget about instruments. But uh, for me, it really is. It's not just to blow clouds or just irritate people. Or, he said, don't forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not just to do all those things that it has. I feel like it has such a bad rep, but for me, I have such a stressful day, a good, it's more than just a hobby for me. It's to be able to cough out like a beautiful O and do anything I want it to. It's, it's some sort of freedom and you can kind of imagine yourself, you know, not bound by gravity, being able to do whatever you want for in that moment that you're doing those things. It's something beautiful. It's an art form. Um, it's more than just blowing clouds or just talking about vape or things like that. But everybody has their own interpretation of what it really is. But to me, it's, it's being able to 
just be free and just express yourself in a different art form. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that. Just kind of seeing you do this whole vape thing, I kind of thought it was just all about kind of vape and competitions and stuff, but it's literally seeing it firsthand. It's more than that. It's actually a community. And I met a few of these people, and they're actually really, really cool people. And it is like a family. It's like a culture almost. Yeah. No, they. It's almost like a vape culture. Yeah. And anything that I mean, besides just vibing out with people and just meeting people and getting along with people, it's it's something has brought a lot of people together. So that's that's a common ground, a basis, just to start a conversation and then you start doing backstories and you find out you have a lot in common with these people that you talk to. So it, it's really nice and I, I get to go to comps and I get to go to talk to people and I have people who follow me and they, they enjoy it and you know they enjoy talking to me because outside of the videos. I- so first time using this podcast, apparently you got five minutes of recording time. So. <laughs> All right, anyway, you're saying? Um, it's you know just being outside of the videos that you know I post on Instagram. People don't really know you, so I really enjoy doing lives. I really get to talk with people, and I get to relate with different people. And um, you know, the overall goal for me, obviously, you know, not is a business side of everything in the world. So finding that that niche, that business side, what are you after realistically? And um, you know, I I love having fun with the videos, and I love just showing people that what I can do. And you know, thanks for these people. You know, you you know, seeing how the follower base grows. You know, yeah. From when I first started, to how many followers I have now, and it just continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, but for me, I do plan to start my own clothing line, and just you know, one day maybe have a shop or, or something like that. You know, and and, and it's really something different and I love the different things in life because not everybody likes to try something different you know we as people are we fit into something that's comfortable because one it's comfortable and a lot of people don't change I mean I don't change but um, if there's something different out there and a lot of people are trying it I'm definitely one of those people who, who jumps on board and enjoys doing something different and the cool thing about it is it really doesn't matter if you're athletic it really doesn't matter if you're tall skinny short fat it really doesn't matter you know so this is why i really enjoy it because my athletic abilities i can't bring into this kind of um like hobby uh, so everything everybody is the same level as when they start you know anybody who can not cough out of the person the church that i can do i consider the same level it's just how much you practice yeah see my, michael brought up a good point though it's saying there's a business side to everything which is true because in a lot of things you know, a lot of people don't do what they want to do because they say, oh, there's no money in it. But if you get down to the numbers and the business side, there's always a way to make money from it. You know, like think about artists who paint, like people don't pursue painting because it doesn't make money. But yet somehow there's people out there who are artists and make money, you know, because they take that extra step to invest in themselves and other people and they network and stuff and they make well, yeah, exactly. And one of the cool things about, I mean, unfortunately, our world as today, you know, 2018, it's such a joke. A, it's a, oh, <laughs> besides that, oh, it's, uh, it's just a, um, everything is just social media based. And you would be so amazed at how quickly other accounts and users, so this business thrives off social media. So when I post a video and it goes from like, 
you know, my videos should go from maybe 50 views in a day to over 400 views a day. Like, that's, it's insane just to see how much people, you know, really pay attention to that. And then you can voice your own opinion from there and just tell people what you're about. For me, if I had one view or one follower or one like, I would still continue to do what I do because I enjoy it and that's what I like. Um, and it's really not for everybody. I mean, you've seen it. I've met people who are just like, you know, the aspect side of what you do and you shouldn't be judged by it really falls into it because you you kind of put yourself out there like, oh, vape has already a bad rep. And then you tell someone like, oh, you vape or you trick. And it's just like, okay, well, you're wasting your time. But they really don't understand it. And uh, I've actually been on dates with people and I've actually talked with people and conversated with people. And they've told me they don't want to talk to me anymore because I vape. I've had... Girlfriends went on you, big. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel, I feel like it's definitely one of the things where it's like people don't look at it as like, oh, it's not a real job or career, or exactly. it's not, you know. And I'm sure you've gotten a lot of that shit in the past couple months. Oh yes, yes, most definitely. My the more I find, the more that my page grows, that the more, especially me. Um, in the community, I don't know why, but you know, then again, it's a lot of attraction, yeah. Anything you know, bad publicity is good publicity, and the way I look at it is, you know, I really don't know where this is going to go, but what's in front of me now is this in the beginning here, so I plan to just go as far as I can into it, and I believe heavily in surrounding yourself in an environment you wish to succeed in, so um. I still cook, and I'm still heavily involved in the career, chef life, and things like that, as I've always been since I was a kid, but, you know, this is just an opportunity that has graced me with so many different things, and, you know, I'm very happy to see it go forward more in the future. Yeah, so this podcast is about to end another second, because we only get five <laughs> minutes, apparently. <laughs> Alright, we're back again. It's a very interesting time limit you have around Yeah, it is. I gotta figure it out. Yeah, I gotta figure it out and see if there's something else to it. I'm not sure. They don't have that on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day, we didn't have podcasts. We had Pony Express. <laughs> but so, before it cut off, you're talking about um, just surrounding yourself in the environment that you wish to succeed in. And you know, I used to be one of those people. I still heavily am. But having gone through, like we've all gone through those situations in life where you're told you can't make it or you're told you can't succeed. And I believe this heavily in the kitchen as well because I, you see it daily and I still get it. I mean, let's, so let's, let's, let's backtrack a little bit and let's kind of get, in, get into the story of the whole kitchen thing. <laughs> so, um, so me and Michael went to high school together. Um, we both worked at the same restaurant when we were younger, when we were about... 16, 17 years old, we worked in the same restaurant, both started as dishwashers, and we kind of grew up together in the whole cooking scene, mm -hmm. so we've been doing it since high school, Yeah. so there's a little backstory to it. I guess not professionally, but like job-wise, yeah, since high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, I just, I think I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and I don't know why I just came home and I really felt like cooking, and uh most of the time it was because my mom, I lived with my mom and my sister when I was younger and um, my mom was always working and she worked so hard to provide for us. So I decided to come home and just make some food. And I ended up, um, I ended up making just like a real quick um, dinner. And it was probably just like a 
homemade box of chicken and dumplings, you know, like whatever a 10 year old can just yeah, follow directions off. And uh, from there, I was like, you know, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, it was just me and I didn't have much stress. Obviously, like, what kind of stress would a 10 year old have? <laughs> But he also got bashed, you said, for being in home ec and stuff, too. I did, yes. Uh, growing up in Yuma, Arizona, um, I used to, they didn't offer cooking classes when I was younger. I really enjoyed baking and pastries. And I got made fun of probably up until I was in high school. And then in high school, I did, too. Uh, just being called gay and, um, you, know, you know, that's that's really gay that you like cooking. Even by some girls, like, are you gay? And You know, I just, at that point, <clears throat> it really didn't... For me to have a label on myself, I really didn't care because I had so much fun. Like, I have a good luck apron, is what I call it. And uh, it was the first apron I ever made in home ec because home ec is a class that teaches kids, um, you know, some life um, uh, attributes. Like, what, what can this do for you in your life? So they teach you, you know, how to write a check or what it's like, the little fake baby things, you know. They put you to those classes. And one of the segments in one semester was baking. And so I really fell into that. Um, and then from there, it just really, really took off for me. So I would bring pastries to school, you know, cookies. And then like my mom started to see it. She said like, well, your cookies are coming out like perfectly round, you know, versus, you know, like mine. But my mom will always still be a wonderful cook to me. That's my mom. Um, moms are always the best. Cookies. Exactly. Grandmas are always the best. I think when the first time I had tried to make a three layer cake from scratch, I was 11 years old and, uh, I made the fondant from scratch. And I made the cake from scratch, um, and it was for Easter. So I think the colors. I looking back, I can't believe I put these colors together. I, I've never put blue. Like you should never put blue in a cake or any sort of food because it represents mold. Tell so, yeah, um, well, it's, an, it's not a natural color yeah. besides blueberries. There's yeah. no other food. And it was. I mean, it was really bright blue. So it, it was fondant. You know what I mean? So it, I had a. Uh, uh, it was three tiers, and uh, the top part was kind of cut uneven. <laughs> it was all sunken in. It was pink, blue, and yellow. But it tasted good, and everyone was like, you really made this? Probably look better than Chef Elias's cake. It's <laughs> um, a whole other story. We'll get into it later. Uh, yeah. So, and then from there, it just kind of transpired into, like, this is this is what I'm going to do. And everybody around me, they're just like, you know, you're going to grow up to be a good chef. Like, that's what that's at that point what I wanted to do when I was younger. Um and then throughout middle school, I finished middle school and I moved back here to San Diego for freshman year of high school. And then I started getting into um, the culinary program. But at the time, the high school we had attended, it didn't have an actual kitchen. It just had books and, and lessons and a bungalow. They did have a kitchen. Remember the, the little shitty one? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But we there wasn't much cooking going on. Yeah, that. not at all. All right, for the fourth time, we are back because the five <laughs> minutes ran out. <laughs> Fucking shit. It's like kind of awful. Right. These people are like, oh, where did it end? Yeah, you get all into the story and yeah, you're really, yeah, like, you're really so into well. it. And then you're like, well, I got five more seconds to finish my life story. <laughs> going to a Michelin star restaurant. Going back for more on your plate. $50 for the scallop. <laughs> all right, so Michael was saying, he was talking about home ec and uh, yeah, the whole so cooking thing. It was, that was freshman year and, you know, in high school, when you're a freshman, everything's so new. It's so big. It's you're still so used to the middle school size of but, things. But even tying it back to like vape and cooking as well, like you got shit for home ec. You got shit mm -hmm. now for vape. Yeah, you know and what I'm saying. So like, even it's kind of high school for um, even sports that I did. You know, lacrosse, swimming, 
football, basketball. But it, I don't know. It just seems like everything that someone does in life, there's almost always someone to say. Well, you would, you would, you know, I mean, you have to appreciate that. Obviously, it. I mean, realistically, would you want to live in a world where everybody was so kind, everything was so nice? Like, absolutely, I would, I would. Absolutely. No, absolutely not. I would hate that. <laughs> a world without war, a world without chaos, or things like. If you really think about it, it's what inspires people to become the next inspirational thing for the younger generation. Um, so with that being said, you know, obviously I have gotten more disrespect to some of the things that I do in my life. I mean, you know, even from unfortunately family members who disagree with some of the things that I do, you know, but everybody's life is their own journey. They have to, you know, we're all on a timeline, you know, I mean, start to finish, you have to figure out where yours, you know, lines up in your path. To to be controversial, supposedly the world was created to be perfect with the <laughs> whole Adam and Eve story and then Eve bit the apple and that's why the world is not perfect because supposedly God created a world that was perfect and it got ruined because they disobeyed. Yeah, essentially, yeah. But, I mean, I'm not one to talk about. <clears throat> well, I don't, neither am I. The Bible but, or politics. I think the last time I stepped in church, I was really young. He burned. If I tried to step in church now, I'm pretty sure I'd catch on fire. <laughs> He'd catch on fire. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's just how it kind of came about. And then I fell more into the kitchen scene. Once uh, San Diego High got funded their culinary program, sophomore year high school. That's when I fell into it even more. I walked right up to the culinary instructor, Brian Murphy, uh, not realizing who he was at the time. He used to be my neighbor. He's known me since I was six years old. And um, Great cat. Yeah, he's, you know, thankfully for him, still to this day, I'll um, always say if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have known the basic fundamentals of culinary yeah. arts. I was actually telling uh, Brian about this and about the podcast and stuff and his whole photography and everything and he's gonna get on one of these podcasts yeah absolutely I think pretty cool. that would be beneficial for sure um but i walked right up to him and shook his hand and how old was i i was probably 15 years old and this 15 year old kid comes up to you and shakes your hand and says i'm gonna be the best chef in the world and he just looked at me and smiled and said okay before i even got in the dish pit and it was a very beautiful kitchen that the school got funded half a million dollar kitchen yeah, very beautiful um i read three books each book, um, one was about just the food safeties and procedures of cooking, the names of different spoons, French, things like that, dishes, and the third was advanced dishes and, you know, neutral plating on plates and, and things like that, negative spacing, um, and just really going over that. And then I got on the dish pit, and then quickly from there, I started doing catering jobs there. and. Then I became somebody that he could rely on in the kitchen, and it became something that wasn't, you know, not everybody around school appreciated. Not, not everybody liked it. They just thought, oh, all you're doing is cooking. And they really saw what I could do and started getting more into cooking. And then, you know, San Diego High was one of the schools who got to compete in Teen Hour Chef the first year. Um, and I was among some of the students in the Pro Star competition, and very, very thankful that I got to be a part of that. Um, I think you guys were the first year of Postar, right? Yeah, we were the first year of Postar. Ever San Diego High School history. Yeah. It's very fun. It's pretty incredible. You guys are the first team. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of memories, a lot of pictures. And uh, just to be part of something like that, to where you can hear other chefs speak about where they've come from and then what they think about kitchens today. 
um, versus plating and why you shouldn't plate that way. So it's very, very fun. Round five, Michael Rubikava's podcast. All right, we were talking about San Diego High School Culinary and Pro Start. Yeah. Um, Michael was the first. One first, of the. The original first, team yeah. of Pro Start. The first ever Pro Start in San Diego High School to go. That's pretty cool. It was, it was a really fun experience. Because, so, that whole program is designed and in, in there to teach kids that if they're interested in the culinary arts management, you know, outside of school, if you're really pursuing this as a career, what it's like to be in a restaurant environment minus the pressure of the line or having a chef yell at you, or, but those things come over time, right? So you're really just understanding what it means to be a part of a kitchen and to do your part more going above and beyond, you know, cause you know, just like one band on sound, it's one plate at a time, you know, it doesn't matter you know, you learn this later in time, you know, but as a kid, you don't realize, you know, it doesn't matter when you're on the line, what you do or what's going on in your life. You're there to put out good food. It really doesn't matter. And that's, you know, if you don't want to do your job, obviously there's somebody else who do it for you. But, you yeah, know, there is. Yeah. Um, but just sending a high school experience for me in the culinary arts program was really fun. You know, we competed the first year pro start was the management and pretty much it teaches kids what it's like to design a restaurant from ground up. And we live in this pro start bill, which is where all the restaurants stay. And in this pro start bill, your restaurant could be on a snowy mountain or next to a beach. It really doesn't matter. It's to design a restaurant concept. Um, from where the bathrooms are to where the kitchen is, and you have these people who own restaurants and built restaurants that come and you present your ID to them and they judge it. So that teaches you the management side, you know, the hospitality management side of owning or starting your own restaurant. Side. Mm-hmm. Which is actually an incredible thing for people to teach high school kids because in high school it's a lot of, you know, social studies, science, and everything, you know, but to kind of teach those real life things about a business and how it works and you know, yeah. even just the depth of designing a bathroom and the layout of a restaurant. like Exactly. People, and people... It's, it's really hard. Um, luckily, you know, we had a great team. We designed a nap and everything like that. So out of 14, you know, schools that competed, you know, for our first year, we placed seventh, which really isn't not bad, bad at, all. at all. There's a couple of flaws, but just what you prepare yourself for the next year. And then I think that next year I didn't, I was part of it, but I didn't go. And that was the year that they competed in culinary. Um, and I wish it had gone, but you know, I had a lot of personal things that you're not taught as a young chef to separate your personal life from the kitchen. It's extremely hard to do. Heard the culinary team did really bad that year. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not going to speak on behalf of that. I can't really. Yeah. Okay. So uh, check this out. Apparently with the pro star, this is some like cheese that Brian was telling me about. So uh, apparently that there's some restaurants that the judges keep all the information booklets of the, that the, the kids create. And there's a few restaurants that have the same concept as the kids created. So, yeah. so now there's this whole thing is like, the kids are creating these restaurants, these layouts, and people are taking their ideas and stealing them and actually bringing them to life and mm-hmm. making money off it. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, 
It's not right at all unless you're paying the kids for their ideas. Uh, well, technically, I mean, a kid really has no idea of what they're doing. I'm sure it wasn't a full... The base of the idea, I'm sure, was the, the kids who were having these ideas. But, you know, it's the person putting up the money to fund a restaurant. I mean, let's face it, more than 85% of restaurants are built in the first year shut down that same year. It's a lot more than just taking someone's idea. You're but, putting up the money and things like that. But it, it is, like, smarter, way because you think about it, like, kids more creative than adults well, in a way so i mean because you have the you have the business side where like someone with business experience can take a restaurant open it you know but then he's like he lacks that creativity so right if right. you think about it like a kid is nothing but creativity i would say more that children are not so pressured by the everyday um situation of life so they have more time on their hands to come up with different ideas based on things they've seen yeah not that more, adults aren't as creative but just that um, children have more of an imaginative side that we often lose when we grow up. All right, so, but yeah, that, that totally is true, though. I mean, they don't stress about life. They don't have all these responsibilities and everything, and they're just being kids. So they have that time to be creative. But which I think is like, you know, like, call it kind of crazy if you want to, but Sometimes kids have these ideas and, you know, it sounds wild, but it might just work, you know, in one of those situations, like... Exactly, yeah. One of the... Yeah, one of those it-might-just-work situations. That's exactly what I did for the first time we were trying to compete for Dan Iron Chef. But that's the beauty that, of it. You take... you take tart I made. <laughs> tart. And we went real hard, and I got real lucky. <laughs> but it's, it might just work. <laughs> to be able to make that... Dough. I mean, the dough took an hour to make, and we only had an hour to cook, so I really had to pull this off. <laughs> and I only practiced it twice before doing so, and I was really, really lucky and very fortunate to have Brian as a culinary instructor to be there and help me and kind of amp me up and just say, you can do this. You know, having someone in your corner saying you believe, it really just takes one person to really say that to a, a, a young teenager and get them to do something inspirational. Um, I had a lot of fun, and uh, I learned things like properly shutting down a closing kitchen, um, food procedures, obviously, dry storage, stocking, and, uh, you know, doing orders. So it was really good to have that. And then, of course, obviously, when people see my resume, they see the Teen Iron Chef thing, so they would ask what's that about. Um, so it was very fun to be a part of that. Yeah, a, a lot of people don't really know that, like... Uh when we were kind of going through high school, it was kind of not a big thing. It wasn't a big thing for culinary programs. And I've, I felt like when we were in high school, it was dying out. Crafts were dying. And then, then, then when we were graduating, they started to grow again. You know, like wood shop. And you have all these arts that people, you know, they're not... You know what I'm saying? Well, it's definitely a transition. Like, during the time we were in high school, you got to remember, like, Bacon wasn't very popular to put on food. What's the number one thing that's not put on food now is bacon, you know? Yeah, different type of thing. Yeah, desserts as well. Bacon. Bacon type of cake. Like, people don't hear those things like, oh, it's weird. But, you know, it's it's really, it's very interesting to see how things trans, kind of transpire over time. Um, but, that, like I said, I had a lot of fun with it. And, um, you know, I'm sure everybody has this things that they wish they can go back and see. Like, I'm sure a lot of people wish that I had stuck with it after high school, that I had done something with it, because, you know, I did have a lot handed to me that I 
threw down the drain as far as sports and culinary, and I kind of went off and did my own thing. Yeah. Um, but Michael Nyland has always done Michael Nyland. <laughs> this is very true. No matter if my plan falls apart or what happens in front of me, I have an instant answer for another plan. And it's always a, a good thing to have, but it's always a dangerous field to play. Jack of all trades. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, a jack of all trades is really, it's really interesting to me because it's like you never master it, but you just get it enough so it works. Well, you know, like you get enough to, to almost, not get by. Be successful in anything. Yeah, but you're, but yeah, exactly. You're, you're successful in it, but you can never be great. Well, I wouldn't say that. It really just depends on the person who's doing that. Like, if I really want. If I really wanted to, I could have gone to play uh, any sport for college, but I just I decided that's not what I wanted to do at the time. And same thing with swimming, I had a swim scholarship I didn't do. Um, I had culinary, and I really could have done that in college. And I'm really glad I didn't, you know, it's just because I pride myself in being, you know, as we call it, street taught. You know, culinary, you read books, you come home, you study, and you wake up, and you, you know, be at work at, you know, six in the morning and then get home like two maybe four in the afternoon and then come home and just watch videos and, and read and read and read and you do this and you question yourself after service after doing 350 in the books you go why do i do this and it's that drive home and you're just like this is why you know because not not everybody can do it but you know jack of all trades is definitely dangerous because you're never you're never fully, for me, speaking from my situation, just being able to pick up anything and do it or, or being able to be very good at it, you're never fully happy. It's never enough. You always want to move on to something new. All right, topic was jack of all trades. We were huh. kind of talking about it, saying how it was kind of dangerous. Michael is a jack of all trades person. Yeah, I've met a few jack of all trades person. Yeah, it's, um, you really, uh, I really don't know how to explain it, it's just... I feel like it's confusing. It can be, yeah, definitely, like, it's, like, I don't wake up and go, this is what I want to do, this is exactly how I'm going to do it, and, you know, that's what I'm sticking to, because the way I see it is, like, realistically, obviously, yes, we only have one life, but if... You have one life, the way I look at it, like, I really don't want to be stuck, not stuck, but I don't want to be doing one thing. And um, I, uh, I just feel that if I'm able to get something, be good at it, and be even better than good, like be, you know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist myself, so when I do something or pick up a sport or a different job, you know, I make sure that I'm flawless at certain things that I do in that area, and that, um, you know, that you know, I just stick with it and then whatever the next year presents in front of me, if there's something new, then I just take off with that. And a lot of people say that's bad because you're not, you're not building your resume or, or you're never happy or things like that. But for me, I enjoy being able to tell people I used to be a mechanic. You know, I can work on cars. I'm very good at it. I can work in the kitchen. I can push out food. I can handle the pressure of the line. I can, being able to pick up an instrument and play it, you know, and, and or sports or understanding certain fields that most people wouldn't understand. Like I'm really good at debate. You know, I want to be part of a um, debate team in high school. 
criminal justice, like those things that really interest me. So little bits and pieces of everything going for each you know, one person. But um, as far as it goes, I really don't plan to open up a restaurant. I mean, if I really want to, like really put my mind to, I'm sure I could, but that's not what makes me happy. What makes me happy is doing a bunch of different things throughout my life. Like just kind of experiencing, experiencing different things. Yeah. And I enjoy that. Like I have done construction before. It's really fun. And I've worked on houses. I've built cars from ground up and I've built dishes. You know, I have had a really blessed life. Like I got to travel East coast from Virginia, Norfolk to all the way to Richmond, Washington, New York. So it's really nice to be able to do those things. Um, yeah. Of course, there's always gonna be that one person that comes across. Well, wouldn't you be happy if you stuck to one thing? This is true. This is very true. I'm sure I'd probably be a lot more successful if I did. But the way I see it is, you know, wouldn't you rather be remembered for how you made people feel when you walked in the room versus what you left behind? Because eventually, you know, everybody's so focused on what they're leaving behind that they forget what's in the now. Everyone's so headstrong and, and just getting money, getting children, getting married, having children. Because we're all stuck and this is how we're supposed to raise children this is how we're supposed to grow up but there's more to life than just planning out your own life and surrounding yourself with your family and things like that you know? um so i just believe that it's a little different but you know me i mean personally you do and i i see life a lot differently a lot differently than most people do yeah he does Yeah, I don't know. Jack of all trades, huh? <laughs> I think for me, I was like, I was pretty fortunate. I wasn't, I didn't so much venture into the side of like as a career, but I grew up with my dad being a Mexican. <laughs> so he, you know, like he had to take me to work when he would paint and go do construction and then he'd go out to work on cars and do these side jobs. So I got to see it all. And I'm not the best at it, but I mean, I can do things. Well, you know, I think like, that's the thing that miss that people are like kind of not misinformed, but they kind of have like a different idea about people that are like, you hear the word jack of all trades and not people really get into it. And there's people who really understand it. And it's, it's not like, it's not like I'm choosing to do a bunch of different things on purpose. Like, sure. I'm really wish that I would just stick with one thing, but that's not me. I being able to do, you know, a bunch of different things is, you know, it's just the person I am, and it helps out a lot. Like, people always have car questions for me. They have eight questions. They have cooking questions, and I can answer almost all of the questions. And if they can't, then I'll do my best to find the right answer. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting lifestyle. Jack of all trades. All right, so just a little recap of Michael Nyland. Um, we talked about his vape. We talked about and we had a little, yeah, we need a little more than five minutes app, but I'm sure I'll figure it out or something will happen. But so again, just to recap, Michael had his vape. Michael did some culinary. Michael did some mechanic. We talked about jack of all trades. Still in the kitchen, and I still vape. And Michael's still in the kitchen. He works at Tom Ham's Lighthouse, which is. An amazing restaurant. It's a very good restaurant to get your hesitant. Yeah. It's very, very well known. Very well known for destroying reservations. Yeah, it's a very busy restaurant. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know this. 
Well, let's talk about the podcast. Talk about the podcast. Yeah, mind blown, right? Mm. Talking about a podcast on a podcast. That's some like Jerry Seinfeld. Breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall. Like 16 walls. No, but I don't know. What what do you think of this podcast? Or what do you think of doing a podcast? Because I I enjoy this. Like, I enjoy talking. It's, It's almost like we take, like, our friendship goes to the side. You know, and it's almost like an interview with somebody. Exactly. And you kind of get real and you get deep with someone. Well, I mean, you knowing me, you know that if somebody tries to sit down and talk with me about something in my life or life in general, they're going to get more than what they bargained for because I have such an interesting way of talking about things. That Never ask this guy what's your perspective on life. Yeah, I can go into <laughs> so much debt with certain things, which is good. But, um, you know... I mean, let's face it, at 23, I have lived such a crazy life so far. I've had so many different things happen, um, more than most 23-year-olds. And most of the common questions I get is, are you 28, 29? Just because of the way that I uphold myself and certain things like that. But, yeah, I think podcast is very interesting, and I definitely think we want to have people intrigued, definitely <laughs> sit down with someone like me. and. <laughs> Just start talking about random things and see, see where that goes. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Like, on this, people can ask questions. They can they can even reply to you. And, like, it's called Collins. And then the basically adds to your station. And they can record and they send it. And it becomes part of your podcast. And you can do po- live podcasts with people. I really hope they don't start going, oh, we want more. Yeah. That guy on here. But apparently it's only five minutes. So I got to check into that. But I don't know. I think it's cool. I like it, man. It's... Uh, I like to talk to people and kind of just pick people's brains. I think it's healthy for people. Yeah, probably. Bad idea. Bad idea for you, yeah. Pick my brain. You're going to never leave the podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. We have (laughs) (laughs) 55-minute clips. Yeah, just so much to talk about. I mean, not really talk about. It's just, like you said, that you heard my story and you being my best friend since we were kids. It's... By the way, it's, it inspires you everything that we've gone through, or and not just us, but you hear my life story, and you're like, dude, if you can go through that and you're still going, you know, the saying, keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. But eventually, you hit this wall where you're just like, what is the point of telling yourself, like, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better? When does better come, you know? And, and it's so. But you know, I, I think those walls are fucking essential. You know, in like this deep, sick, twisted way because you hit a wall and you basically, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go emotionally, physically, like, what do I do? But then it puts you in this like kind of trance and it makes you think differently because you're like now, you know, I've, I've, cause I've gotten to a point in my life where I've, yeah, I've always known like what to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, what do I do? I think for me, you know, hitting, hitting the wall as they call it is... I don't think yeah. I've ever... Should we call it the wall or should we come up with a name? I I would really hate to call it... Let's call it the or, gate. I want to call it a gate. No, because the gate opens. Yeah, my gate's been locked. Let's call it the show. Trump. <laughs> my gate doesn't open. <laughs> but you really can either... You know, it's really just taking the hand that you're dealt with. And I make it work. You know what I mean? You know, everything, you know, kind of my situation and where I'm at. In yeah. So in the next five-minute session, in the next five-minute session, 
we're going to get into a little bit about Michael's health concerns and <laughs> what he's been through. So oh, it's going to be a rough five minutes, folks, but hang in there. <laughs> All right, so the last one I said Michael was going to get into, get a little deep on us. So, Michael, where did it all begin? <laughs> this this is why the way the way Michael talks like this, the, the way his perspective is on life and the jack of all trades, this basically explains it all. I mean, I wouldn't really say that's the way I am or the way I talk. You know, based based on life, like anyone could be like, well, but it is because I was dealt a shitty hand. This is the, the asshole that I am. No, it's really not that. But it's a big part of you. It is. It really is. Um, so. Because uh, each situation molds you. It, yeah, every everything that I've dealt <laughs> definitely molds me into something that most people are like, why are you still here? <laughs> why just give up? <laughs> right. um, but if it, the one thing that I can tell people, truthfully, honestly, going through the things that I've gone through, is, it sounds cliche, but when your back is against the wall, and you really can't push off anymore, and you have nowhere to go, and you just gotten to a point where you're super, super low in life. All it takes is hope. Hope that something that you believe in that no one cares about is going to get you to the next step. You know, one plate at a time versus in the kitchen. One trick at a time vaping. One sport at a time. One instrument at a time. One step at a time. And that's how I live my life now based on the things that have happened to me. I don't think about what I'm going to do next week. I don't think about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I just wake up and whatever feels right, I do it. Obviously, I understand that I have bills and I have my job in my car and I get all those things done. But outside of that, I don't really worry about what's to come. I don't think about what's going to happen 20 years from now. I just know here's what I'd like to do. And if it lines up to where I can do it, I do it. Um, so I guess health concern wise, um, I'm not one to say that I've been dealt a shitty hand because there's people who have worse health scenarios than I do. But unfortunately, I was born with a C2, um, C1 uh, vertebrae fuse, fusion between my spine and my uh, spinal column and my brain. So the area of where your spine curves to connect to your brain, mine is a little tighter than others. And because of that, I had an injury in football when I was younger and I suffered a spinal cord concussion. I was paralyzed from the neck down for a couple hours and then from the waist down for about three days. Um, upon trying to get out of the hospital and walking, besides the numerous MRIs and CAT scans, and they couldn't figure out what was going on, and uh, my neck was so swollen, they had to put me on steroids, you know, things like that. Um, I go to get up, and I had always wanted to play for the USC Trojans. I go to get up, and um, the neurologist for the USC Trojans comes in and tells me I can no longer play contact sports for the rest of my life. I shouldn't be driving a car and I shouldn't do anything that can really put me in serious risk because another incident like that, I'll be uh, uh, quadriplegic. And um, as this is as I go to get up and walk after about a week of not walking. So understand, like I know how to walk, but you know, familiarizing my body with it. A week off your feet, you're like yeah like a newborn deer exactly and uh so my left unfortunately my left side really like my left leg really never fully recovered um but because of that a couple years later actually the next year i went to go okay i can't play football and maybe i try some basketball 
knock my head off the growth plate <laughs> coming down from rebound and um it was off for about two weeks i had severe pain and uh went to the doctor and they said that well, we can try and do surgery but you're too young and the growth spurt you're in right now it's going to mess up your growth plate um it's it still is now about an inch off the growth plate nothing crazy you know your not, hip yeah so if it messes up again then it would probably not grow properly um so little things like that and then i probably should wait for the next five minutes of this podcast <laughs> to unload the yeah, other seconds, so. um but that was my freshman and sophomore year of high school uh-huh. Yeah, so I'll talk for the next 30. So, by the way, when Michael got into his injury, I'll just talk into this podcast, and everyone for sure thought he was dead. Yeah. You know, like when he came <laughs> back, it was pretty pretty incredible to see him walking, to be honest. Yeah, they, they still tell that story. Uh, yeah, the, the stories, neck. story still lives on at that high school that the kid who got basically his neck broken yeah. and came back to school. Back to it. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so pretty much just after that, it was all right. It was clear to me that maybe I shouldn't be doing sports. So around that time, that's when I really fell even more into culinary. But outside of that, I um, so the USC Trojans neurologist said you can never play contact sports again. This is correct. Yes. Yeah, and I remember actually like because right around after that time, that's when we actually started becoming close and mm-hmm. actually hanging out. And I remember playing football with you as well. Like everyone knew to be careful with you. Yeah, I still. But you didn't like that. Yeah, no, I didn't like that. I didn't like not being able to drive. Even now, I shouldn't be driving a car. Um, I didn't like not being able to ride a skateboard. I didn't like walking on eggshells for the rest of my life. That's not me. I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie. I, I push the limits and then some. Yeah, Mike shoots heroin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not it. But um. You know, it's funny, as well, I was in the hospital, lo and behold, Reggie Bush for the USC Trojans running back is comes to the San Diego High School and talks with the football team. Jesus Christ. Um, but, so it was kind of rough for me. I didn't really understand it that's, at first. That's so, that's such like a nylon moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, I was in the hospital. Uh, everyone got a million dollars that day. Well, here's the <laughs> kicker is me being. No pun intended. Yeah, literally. So I'm in the trauma care section because they need to be like very careful with me. Here's the kicker. Yeah. The kid next door to me was dying from brain cancer. And I was able to kind of talk with him a little bit, like through, through the walls. It was kind of funny. And, um, he's very, very sweet kid, very tough, very brave. And like, I'm all laid out and I just feel awful. And I can't imagine like he goes some nights, he'd scream and I just can't imagine the pain he's going in. But, talking with him you know you just hear the the hope in his voice you know kind of pushed me to all right i'm gonna walk out of this hospital did you ever see his face i did yeah um he was they had him laying on his side i, I really don't know why he was dying from brain cancer yeah no all because all the patients on that floor with me were either had cancer or they were you know this trauma care so they you know it's rady children's hospital um but after that, I decided, okay, well, obviously I had to go in and out of the hospital. As soon as I got back to school, I, I didn't feel good. I was like, oh, I have a fever or something like that. Turns out, you know, steroids weakens your immune system, you know, all the different things I was on. I ended up, con- this was during the time swine flu was around. I ended up contracting the swine flu disease. And 
I go home like, man, my head really hurts, my chest is really killing me, like, I'm not, I'm not really feeling good. I take my temperature and I'm at 108 degrees. I'm laying there and my dad comes home and he's like, what's going on, what's going on, you know, and um, they rush me to the hospital and the doctor just looks at me like, you shouldn't be, like, moving around, like, you should be, like, falling because, you know, human body temperature, I think, is it past 110, you start to get brain damage. Yeah, your brain fries. Yeah. And, uh, so I've had a 106. It was, it didn't feel good. It was, um, it was really awful. (laughs) Then, uh, so they gave me antibiotics and about another week out of school and I come back and everyone's just like, Oh, so good to see you. Or I thought you were dead, you know, certain things like that. So then, you know, I start getting back to the school, start trying to be more active because being off your feet like that, being really weak, it, um, it takes a toll on you, you know. So I lost all my strength. I had to start. I literally started lifting two pound dumbbells and working up from there. Um, then, you know, I guess that was probably around sophomore to leading into junior year. And then junior year, I played a couple more sports. And then um, by graduation is when I got diagnosed with the um, spinal uh, sciatica, or known as spinal stenosis. And that was probably one of the things that really set me back. It was really hard for me to kind of understand that this is something that's going to change your life that I didn't really understand what it was at the time. Um, in and out of hospitals for the next four and a half years and still going to hospitals. Um, it really makes you appreciate things a little bit more, which sounds really cliche, you know, stop and enjoy the little things, but it really, really makes you appreciate, you know, certain things that you wouldn't normally, you know, appreciate. You just pass by because, you know, you're so busy and you have all the time in the world, but when you have that time and then your time's cut in half, it's a little different. Time's cut just like this app. Yeah. Tell me about it. All right. Quick recap. Uh, Michael Nyland was talking about right after high school, he was diagnosed with spinal stenosis, which is a disease uh, it's a, um, it's a very rare and uncommon disease of bone. It's just funny to say it's a disease. It's an actual disease, which is crazy. Um, you normally hear things of arthritis or, um, scoliosis. Um, you know, it's the cur- curvature of a spine over time, you know, the discs in your back start to deflate, things like that, because it's tissue and you see it in people over the age of 65 and then some, because it's, it's about that time, you know. Yeah. Your body starts to become weak. Um, but I, I love the fact that, like, kind of if you go back a few uh, episodes, I know we got so many because of this podcast, but it's kind of the thing is, like, there's something about hope in all your stories. Yeah. So That you can kind of tie, you know, especially with a kid in the hospital, there's hope. You said it before in another podcast, you're talking about hope. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, there was a time, you know, I think you remember distinctly when um, I lived at the apartments across from us. And, um, you know, I was out of high school and I was getting disability at 18, I had my own place, uh, or 19, I had my own place, and I was getting disability. And I was in and out of, you know, I was walking with a cane, you know, at that point, I couldn't, I could barely move. There was elderly people walking faster than me. And I really thought this is, this is my life. How do you go from playing sports, being really athletic to being, you know, a somewhat 
of a popular person in high school, I guess is what you'd say. And, you know, just part of that click. Total jock. I never liked them. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to, to just total nothingness. You know, you felt really alone. You can't, I can't drive. I'm on really, really strong medication. And um, that's when everything started to kind of just spiral out of control. Um, the pain alone. So what it really is for me and my back is that the nerves and that run along the sides of your spine, you know, we have nerves that connect from our feet all the way up to our brain. Um, the nerves in my spine push through the tissue and grow it in my spinal column, my bones. And they continue to push through it and through it and through it. And I'll sit down and I'll pinch a nerve and my legs will go numb. You don't really know how long they'll go numb for. They happen spontaneously when you're working or driving or things like that. Um, still to this day, the doctors have a 10-pound weight limit on me. <laughs> Which is outrageous. Seems like just the other day or a few months ago, I was putting a 45-pound weight on your back. Yeah. 50-pound weight. <laughs> I wish I'd have done that. But, no. uh, but it's these limitations you set and accept for yourself. And but see, I, like, I, feel, I feel like that, too. Like, it's hard to say because like, I, I couldn't put myself in the situation, but... I really wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Yeah. The amount of the pain that, that you, you know, but like through. if when they people say, "Oh, sir, you have you know a year to live," and you know it just boggles my mind that you know, like I wouldn't want to die in a hospital bed. Exactly. That's... You know, like I wouldn't want to go through the radiation or all that shit. You know, I would just live my life and continue the way I'm doing it and. Dial. Well, that was that's still today one of the sort one of the biggest struggles with my family and I. And um, they want you to go through all this. They want medical, me, exactly. But but who wants to live life going through all these tests and? I think after four years, the one thing that I can say is that it's an extreme amount of excruciating pain. And just when you think that the last, I'll call it an episode, because it comes in stages every year is different. Just like this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, Every year you, you think it'll be better or your body's healing or the more there's really nothing that stops it There's no amount of medication that'll stop it. There's something that'll Ease the pain maybe but it's only prolonging what's gonna happen when I was 19 the doctors told me that I should be looking at Maybe about 28 years old. I'll be in a wheelchair and To hear that, you know, you just go gosh like you know. yeah, Kid fresh out of high school it's really not what you want to hear. You have the whole world in front of you, and you still do, you know, but it's just, you know, people with different, obviously, diagnoses and more severe diseases than I do, and, and people who are quadriplegics, they live their life, and you know, look at Stephen Hawkins, but just to hear that, you know, you don't really know how to react. It's hard to cope with certain things. All right, so you're fresh out of high school. All this is going on. You're diagnosed with the disease. They said you're going to be in a wheelchair at 28. What do you do? Most likely that, that was because they still, even to this day, they really don't know what causes it. You know, it's very rare. It's still a kind of undiscovered mm -hmm. disease and they don't know much about it. Well, they do forms of surgery, but really what that does is you have to keep going back. You know, my grandfather has the same thing. His first surgery said he took, it took the numbness out of his left leg. Unfortunately... He's had three different surgeries, but he's also older. You know, he's gone through wars and he's an ex-Marine, and he's done all those things. Um, he feels a lot better, but for me, it was so 
on set that it just happened and happened and happened. Everything like you wouldn't think. It would, oh, I had more time. Okay, I'll take it slowly. It just next after next after next, certain things were just happening quicker than the doctors were even grasping. Like, okay, what's going on? Like, this needs to stop. It was basically like an episode of House. Yeah, every every Rem- time. Remember your house stage? Worse. Yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> it was so. After hearing that, you know, I went home and um, I probably, the medication they had me on, I couldn't do anything. So I wasn't able to work. I was just sitting at home and I just started getting depressed, you know. At that time, you know, I was married in high school. So my wife is off in the military and she's out. At- so backtrack a little bit. Michael got married right after high school. <laughs> His wife joined the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their own place. She was stationed away most of the time. Yeah, she was gone. She was in boot camp and then yeah, yeah. high school. Um, so Michael's also dealing with that, being alone in an apartment, all this stuff's going on. Okay, continue. Well I couldn't so I couldn't tell her. You know, it would be wrong for me to tell her because I you know, she had a very dangerous job. And so he, she has to focus on a job. If she's worried about me, she's not gonna focus on a job and that could cause something to happen to her. So I had to keep my mouth shut and just act like everything was fine. Um you're not being able to even walk down the stairs and do my laundry, let alone walk the dog that I had. You know, it was it was rough. You know, I couldn't get up. You know, I couldn't. You know, it was getting to the point I could barely even shower. It was hard to stand for that amount of time. Maybe I wouldn't say maybe I could stand for probably thirty minutes without my leg. You know, I had I still have nerve damage in my leg. Um, but you know, just the medication they had me along, it, it started to get pretty bad. Now, I remember a certain time where I had walked in and your apartment was trashed. There was alcohol, pills, you know, and it kind of looked like you had given up. Yeah. Or on the verge. Definitely, definitely right there. The problem with that. But do you think that is the same as well as giving up? That was a moment of clarity for you? Nope. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say clear. I mean, so at that point, I was taking three different medications: uh, narco, um, five hundred to eight hundred milligrams. Jesus. Of narco. Okay. And by the way, these are all like I've never asked Michael these questions before. We've never really dug into it. It just uh, kind of happened, and now we're kind of digging. That's well, I mean, after twelve years, you would think that you would know about it too, but we've really never sat down and talked about it. So. The medication they have you on, the problem with these narcotic pain pills is that they become addictive. And when you're young, you've never taken them before. You don't really understand what that means. Uh, so they were drugs. And to cope with the pain, I took what it said, recommended one every six, six to eight hours. Then it became more about, okay, like it's not doing it, or I like that feeling, I enjoy it, you know. And uh, the last time I remember, I want to say it was up to three to five pills every six hours. So at one time I would take it five pills, boom. And um, they started noticing I was going through my medication a lot faster. I was on flexorol, narco, an extreme amount of different um, narcotics and nothing seemed to work. You know, it would, so what that does, the narco, it cuts off the connection between the nerves. So you don't feel the pain as much. And it did work for a while, but then I started getting really low. That was the time you found me passed out with a bottle of pills and Jack next to me, you know. And then I 
I really started to hate myself. You know, I can't believe I had become this person. You know, you really never you hear stories about it, but you never think you're going to be that person. Um, so to answer your question, the moment of clarity was probably, I was, I was smoking a lot. I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a lot of cigarettes at the time. I was drinking a lot of alcohol. So we're talking pills, alcohol, cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And soda, no, no water. I was drinking probably up to. Which is another type of drug. I was probably drinking every time I went shopping for soda, I brought eight, two liters of Pepsi and I was killing about four, two liters in a week. Jeez. Yeah. Um, the moment of clarity for me was my doctors told me, we're going to put you in rehab unless we're going to come to your house. We're going to take you and we're going to put you in rehab. You know, I'm going to call. The next day, I woke up and I threw what was left of my medication away. I stopped drinking and I stopped smoking and I stopped drinking soda that day. Um, cold turkey. Um, that next month was very, very rough. Yeah, of course, with, withdrawals, and your stomach pains, and things like that. It's it's really not something I would recommend to people at all. <laughs> I mean, to not even do drugs, but then to get off of certain addictions, it's it's really really rough. It shocks your body. I got very sick after that. Um, I don't know. Then after that, I got better. I started to, um, you know, you saw me. I started to look better. So I can work it. I got a job again. I started working, you know, little part-time kitchen jobs to make me feel better. To start building muscle in my back, I figured, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to not go out like that, but if I'm going to go out like this, like I'm going to, I'm going to go out on my own terms. I'm going to go out, you know, with the bang. I'm going to push as hard as I can against this fight, you know, fight the fight, you know, fight this battle. Um, it's funny as during the time I was doing all those things, nobody in my family knew about it. They, and I kept no shit about it. Yeah. You know, they didn't really know that I was doing those drugs. They didn't know all these things. So I came over. My dad knew I was on pain meds. So he said, oh, you look kind of doped out. You know, but you know, I was driving like that. I passed out a couple times driving like that. I was very lucky. You know, the car didn't end up upside down. I lost feeling I said drive a manual um, vehicle. And, uh, you know, my legs would go numb. And I'd lose control of the car. And I got very, very lucky. Um, you know, so I would say that I'm a very lucky person, but then again, I'm the, I really don't like the word luck. I like to say that you create your own luck and you kind of dealt with the situation you have. You know, I should have been paralyzed and like that when I got injured. I should have probably died from the swine flu, and I probably should have died from a drug overdose. But, you know, I just kept going. So I'm working. And then, you know, that's when this time comes for me to move to the East Coast. And yeah. That so, trip. so anyone who's listening and who's kind of like, man, you know, I've, I have health issues and blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of going through a little bit of the same thing. Well, no one goes through the same thing, but they're going through a similar situation. What would your advice be to them before we move, we move on to the next? Honestly. Like how, how, how to get through it, how to cope with it. You know. I didn't want to go to rehab. I thought about it. And still to this day, I think about just going and sitting in the seminar just to make myself say, okay, I did it. You know, you can't sit there and go, I'm going to do it for somebody else. You got to do it for yourself. That's the one key thing. And I hated myself. I woke up and I hated myself. So I guess having to hate yourself or really hate the person you've become, it creates another like the side of you kind of like a jackal and high thing it creates like okay this is the jackal where's the high you know like, 
so that that hide came out and I was like okay I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna change and I have to change because I'm still here and I'm still gonna be here to piss people off and annoy them I, I figured I'm gonna be around to kind of irritate people a while longer and um, you know, obviously my situation isn't anywhere as worse as other people's but definitely going through that I can say that you know but it I doesn't take a whole lot of strength to do drugs. It takes an extreme amount of strength to get off of them. And nobody likes to talk about it when they're going through it until it's after they're clean and sober. But I would like to just say that, you know, I'm happy I'm not that person anymore. I feel 10 times better, you know, 100 times better than not being that person and just being me. Um, I think it ties. Push, push through it. Like I said, that hope every day. There was something about, like, I had fully given up, but there was. Every time I had passed out, I was like, there's still that hope. Like, I still feel alive. And you just got to hang on to that and kind of push yeah. through it. So I think this whole kind of podcast ties back to hope. Yeah, definitely. So before I cut off, I was saying um, all it comes down to is hope. Realistically, yes. I'm not one in, uh, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in faith. Uh, I believe in faith and hope. Uh, two reasons. I don't like not being able to control the outcomes and circumstances of my life. I believe there's a cause and effect to everything you do. Um, so you cause this to happen because your actions took you there. You know, you. I'm a big time believer and you put yourself in a situation, you better fight like hell to get out. And um, hope because even hope is better than, you know, there's people who are atheists and people who believe in churches and different gods. Um, Amongst those people, you know, you just have people who have hope, have hope and faith in something, whatever it is, whatever that makes you feel better. If having a good luck charm makes you feel better for whatever reason, just have hope and faith in that. And that's something that you can never, you can beat somebody down and you can take everything away from them. But the one thing you can't break is their hope and their faith. You can never take those away. And that's just how I feel anyway. Fucking beautiful said Dr. Michael Nyland. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so true, man. That's super true. I always tell everyone, like especially youngins who want to cook and stuff. I always tell them, you know what? You could take everything away in some in a chef's life, but he st will still, at the end of the day, know how to cook. Exactly. You can never take someone's ideas. Like they can have, you know, mm -hmm. they can have everything. Like if I started a company and everybody wants to take it, like, you can have it. You'll never have my ideas. And everybody knows I have some crazy MacGyver ideas. <laughs> Says the guy who taped a honey canister to his hat just to get a shot of a fake video. Very good shot. <laughs> Very good shot. Very good trick. Yeah. But it took a lot of MacGyvering. But yeah, so I guess so, after that, you know, yeah. I, I moved to the East Coast and that trip was fun. It was wicked amazing yeah. driving from. A little positivity. Yeah, so the next really thing, fun. that trip was incredible driving from it's a program to 40 40 hour trip so it yeah. took us about three days from san diego to norfolk virginia it's very fun we had my dog in the backseat sparking the trooper he's amazing amazing dog he's a beagle full but no pure people um, man what a trip it was remember when you hit those five hour energies yeah <laughs> started hallucinating <laughs> you should have been there on the way back you know, you got to call me, but on the way back, it was probably the best. <laughs> I did that trip on the way back, 38 hours straight. I didn't sleep. Jesus Christ. Back. I did 
trying to FaceTime Michael or <laughs> most of the time, but like I had to work and sleep and whatnot, but I try to fucking be there, keep him awake, alert. Mm-hmm. So I didn't crash and burn. Yeah. Well, <sighs> getting out to the East Coast is fun. You know, obviously the reason I had to go out there is time to be with my wife. You know, it was about coming up on two years of our marriage and I was so in my career and she was so in hers. I was like, you know, we're, we don't even see each other. Um, so I figured if I'm, you know, to be a good husband, you know, not only do you need to get support from both sides or, you know, each spouse, but you really got to make sacrifices. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave. I had such a great job. I had a great career starting up again because I started working. And so I decided, you know, let's do this trip. And if I was going to do it, I was going to do it with obviously you and my best friend and brother. And so we did it. And uh, once you left, things were looking up. But then the health concerns started coming back again. Um, obviously, I took my race car out there, and that was fun. I started doing these things, but they uh, they started to notice more issues with my health. Now I got diagnosed with a uh, weak immune system. Pretty much, my body can't tell the difference between the healthy cells and the bad cells in my body, so it attacks both. So I'm always weak and sick. I'm always um, I'm more prone to liver diseases besides the the the, the bad um, things I the medication did to my liver, which kind of screwed it up. But you know that started happening, and this was the first time my wife at the time was hearing about it, and uh, she was very scared. She didn't really know how to respond. So when I started collapsing more, uh, you really don't know what to do in that situation. You know I felt more bad about collapsing. I felt embarrassed in front of her just because. You can't do anything. There's, you can't just, you know, someone falls, get an ice pack, take the pain away. You know, it doesn't work that way. You sit through this pain until your body's ready to start working again. All right, so you're out in Virginia. You kind of got this new new start to everything. Everything's looking up. And then it gets worse. Yeah, um, it just started kind of get worse. And I really so I had never, at that point, the only places that I had ever traveled to were Arizona and, and San Diego. You know, it was about probably two and a half hours away from each other. And, um, you know, so driving through, you know, driving to the States, it was really fun to see everything. But getting out there and just having to deal with these things, it really, you can kind of see it at the point, you can see my wife at the time. You know, we were sitting there in the doctor's office and she kind of started to realize, like, you know, when we met in high school, we've actually known each other since middle school, but when we started talking in high school, you know, everybody knew me as, like, this guy goes through a lot. Like, he, he can put him through hell, and he's still you know, physically, you know, there, like, athletic-wise and things. So when you see this limitation, this major limitation, it's like, wow, like, you have to kind of treat him. You get treated differently, which which was probably the worst feeling ever, being treated differently. Um, just because I had this physical limitation bearing over me everything had to be so much more careful you know she she started doing more of the heavy stuff and I started getting mad you know just because that's like that's like my job because at the time we had the house you know that's you know I was what, I was probably 20 at the time we had our house we had a garage I had the race car with the dog we had the fence and I was out there mowing the lawn you know it was kind of like it was kind of like something you you really yeah, house see, and, yeah, yeah the whole I guess the, the American dream right there um, it really didn't take long for a couple of her 
times for her to sit in on some of the doctor's appointments to go, okay, this needs to change. So I stopped working again. And uh, it was just the house dad, you know, <laughs> with the dog at home and cleaning the house and just doing all these things while she was working. And um, it started to take another toll on my body. I started gaining more weight at that time. I was probably physically healthy and then I started going very unhealthy and eating snacks and junk food again and I started getting on the medication again but the way I had done it was that um, it was very hard to do so so my body wouldn't get used to it I had to relapse every three days so I would take I stopped taking narco and I only take flexorol so it's just enough to dull the pain but not get rid of it so every three days I that's when I'd stop taking it wait another day go cold turkey and then restart so my body wouldn't get addicted it was very very hard to do mentally it was a big challenge but I didn't want I was really scared that my wife was going to leave me to be quite honest you know um just because you're so you're so worried, you know, when people are, a lot of people don't really understand when the person that you marry or someone in your family serves, you serve too, in a different standpoint, what it's like to be a part of the military family. you got to be strong for them, you know. I think out of the four and a half years that I was married, uh, we probably shared one birthday of mine together. Uh, never, never spent New Year's with her, anything like that. And so that's the kind of small sacrifices you make. Um... Not there shortly after being out there, you know, we started to grow apart, health concerns became a bit much, and uh, we went our separate ways, unfortunately. Um, then I had friends out there, so I moved in with them, and I became a mechanic. <sighs> Back to the jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, you know me, building race cars out here in California, and then, you know, kitchen, you know, chef, high, you know, day mechanic at night, you know. And uh, just doing all those things. So I uh, worked at a Midas, but it was owned by um, Tidewater Express Towing Company. You guys are about to get another health concern. Yeah, this is this is the kicker here. This is the one that... Um, yeah, we're going to wait to get into this one uh, because we have about 30 seconds left on this podcast. <laughs> but I do apologize for anybody hearing this and goes, oh, you poor sap. You poor sap. <laughs> no, no worries. It's a podcast, man. We're here to talk about real life situations. Real life people, yeah. Real life people. Like I said, if you guys have any questions for Michael or me, or (laughs) you guys want to talk about something or a topic, let us know. Did I record all that? So Michael's working at Midas. Yeah, it was a uh, so Midas owned by a towing, a diesel towing company. Um, Tidewater Express out there in uh, New Hampshire, Newport News, Virginia. That famous bridge everybody sees on TV that goes under the water. That thing's awesome. Yeah, it's very sketchy. Um, so drove through once, never again. Yeah, definitely not. I ended up getting a motorcycle, so that's what I was commuting to and from work with. Very fun. Um, I want to say I was probably there for six months, and then I got hurt. Pretty, pretty good. Big surprise, Michael and I yeah. go through another health issue. <laughs> well, this was just more of a, like a dangerous thing to be doing to begin with. So 
I did learn more proper procedures to being a mechanic, learn the actual tools and things like that, how to properly diagnose cars and symptoms. Um, but we were working on this, this big ass truck, this diesel. And uh, so we we're doing, taking the tires off, just doing everything. I think this is one of the ones we were building, they rebuilding the rear differential on. And um, my coworker, he's a funny guy. Uh, he's from New York, so he had a dope accent. And um, this tire is loose and it goes to fall off the back of the truck. And it's it's big diesel tire and it bounces and it's like bouncing towards him and not even hesitating or thinking I just go and so I could have like pushed my way or pushed the tire differently so it wouldn't hurt him I just go and I grab it mid midair and it you know it's I want to say probably weighed close to 100 150 pounds especially with air in it rim on yeah fuck and um it just um it yanked me, and uh, right then I felt it, felt something pop. I continued work the day and went home, and then I went to the doctor's to do a checkup, and uh, I ended up shattering two lower discs in my back. <laughs> um, so, real quickly, it was straight to walking with the cane again. Um, so the doctor says he shouldn't play contact sports. Mm-hmm. Four years later, catches a fucking diesel tire, hurts back. I mean, it was all in good cause, you know, to help someone not get hurt. Hey, don't play any sports, but (laughs) when you're in in a moment, like you really don't think about it, you just go, "I'm this person shouldn't get hurt." You know, this is true. He's a far better mechanic than me, and he he's got a family, he's got all these things, and it's just me, my wife, and the dog. So if he gets hurt, you know, shit, it's his income. So just grabbed it and then. uh, yeah, after that, uh, unfortunately, it was more of a hazard environment. And had me walking around with a cane and a wheel before. It was... Same place with your arm as well, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that was another spot. That was a Jiffy Loop. <laughs> yeah, the one where I dropped the car. Oh, uh, my car got... car fell on my arm, and I got pinched between the lift and uh, the muffler. And it burned. Third-degree burn from my forearm to my wrist, yeah. They were debating to cut off my arm. Um, so I said, well, do what you can. And unfortunately they couldn't give me any pain medication or shots at the time. So they just scrubbed my arm as far down as possible. Oh, yeah. And wrapped it up. They were very impressed though. Cause it should have took five weeks to heal. And I healed in about a week. Um, <laughs> classic nylon, huh? But, uh, that was, that was another story. At Jiffy but, um, yeah. So all that, all that happens. Mm-hmm. You're going through. Your separation, mm-hmm. all these changes, mm-hmm. and then now it's time to come back to Cali. Yeah, I had one more. I had one more trip. I I was in. Uh, I met somebody after separation, and uh, I moved to closer to Washington, and um, she's a very sweet person, very awesome. And her family's from Long Island, so she did have the Long Island accent. Where I kind of pick up some a little bit of my. Crazy East Coast accent. Um, confusing. Yeah, very confusing for a lot of people. So, well, hey, it's cool. I'm not on a podcast. Don't worry about sorry, I do apologize. <laughs> All right, so you meet a girl. Mm-hmm. Everything's cool. Mm-hmm. And then what? Before this podcast got cut off by my finger. <laughs> uh, 
I guess it's just it just didn't work out, you know. Obviously, you know, so it was very fun. We still talk to this day. We're very good friends. Um, our family and I still talk, um, but it just didn't work out. So it, it was really just time for me to come home. I honestly haven't seen my family in that time, about two years. Um, anybody um, that I left behind in California and conversation with my parents, you know, so it was time for me to come home. I had other family members that were being diagnosed with cancer and it was, it wasn't looking so good. So it was time for me to come home. So I probably, after the separation and I was just going through everything, um, one of my final checks from Virginia, I probably had 600 and some change in my pocket and I drove, um, said my farewell. It was very sad to say goodbye to that person. As you're reaching food out of the kitchen right now, it's very nice. Great, great interview. So that's what cool. <laughs> that but um, it's very, it's very sad farewell, uh, farewell. But you know, we still talk the same. But anyway, so I got back. When I got back, it was a nonstop kind of hustle train. I, and at that time, you didn't really know what was going on with my back or my hustle train either. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't know. really care, but no, I'm just yeah. kidding. I did care. Who does, right? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the world keeps on turning, my friend. But, um, yeah, so. <laughs> it was just a constant work, 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 work flow from there. And then, you know, we moved in together. And, yeah, so now back to the first podcast we had. When Mike was talking about vaping. Uh, this is where Mike kind of always had to... Like, always had something to fall back on. You know, like, vaping was always there. And a lot of the times, people are, how did you get into vaping? And I say that... But I, rem- I remember you vaping when, like, you lived in the apartment over here. Oh, right, that's during the time I was going through. I mean, it wasn't to this extent, and there was no community and stuff. Well, it's because I didn't really do anything with it. I, honestly, I was, I guess, cloud chasing, cloud chasing, whatever. I was just vaping to quit smoking cigarettes. Yeah. After I didn't need the nicotine anymore and stopped, and... Came back from the East Coast. That's when I met, you know. We'll save that for a different episode of. Uh, you want to talk with food in your mouth? Go ahead. It's not rude. <laughs> we'll save that for a different episode of Nylon and Hip Hop. What does that have to do with hip hop? Love and hip hop. It's more Fuck. just the Nylon curse, is what I like to call it. Okay. Like the Kardashian curse? That's not the first. Anyway, we'll save that for another episode when we're talking about love and emotions. And um, but that'd be, that'd be a real so good I met one. the person that I met and got me into vaping, and then you know, I kind of went off and did my own thing. And I feel like when people ask me how I got into vaping, I feel like vaping found me. You know, it's a way for me to escape. It's a it's a different. It kind of helps me forget that I'm kind of limited to certain things that I am at in my life. Um, but it is all very real. Unfortunately, the two discs I haven't gotten fixed still to this day. Um, the nerve damage keeps spreading. Uh, it spreads to my hands now. Um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Uh, I'm, not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. God. It's it's four thirty in the morning. That's amazing. It is. We've been podcasting for quite a while now. It's I told you. Man, I had to bust out the Cheerios, a cup of coffee. <laughs> I was hungry. I was Thanks for taking all the coffee, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Um, 
Um, so, anything else you want to talk about, man? It was just, it was just that, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. Pain is very real. Still there. <laughs> Once again, pain's there. Uh, it, it's funny because people ask, oh, "Are you in pain right now?" And I'm in pain every day, and it's kind of sick when you think about it. You get used to that much extreme amount of pain. You really just get used to it. And I can't really describe it. The only thing that I can come to with that people have had is getting stabbed. <laughs> getting stabbed. <laughs> Fuck, you heard it here first, folks. Getting stabbed. All right, so you compared your pain to getting stabbed. Pretty well. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty drastic. But that's really all I can... I mean, we've all felt sharp pains before. Um, it, I can't tell people because they don't really know, you know, what that feels like. So it, it's most likely the most, I don't really know how to describe nerves pushing through your bones. I mean, if anyone's ever had a shot, you know, the only thing that I can compare it to is women. If, the pregnancy if, shot? Uh, the, uh, and the, the spine, yeah. spinal tap or whatever it's called? No, spinal tap. Those, those suck. <laughs> Been through a few of those. Yeah, they, they don't feel good, you know. But, um... Epidurals is what it's called. There we go. I forgot the name of it. Oh, there you go. Um, that's probably about what I can compare it to. But and I heard day, those are excruciating. I'm just getting a dose of <laughs> every day. But, uh, but yeah. it, you start to find something that kind of distracts you. And one of the cool things is if you can meet someone who distracts you from your pain, and it's even better. So. You're alive. You're well. Okay, well, you're alive now. I'm alive, yes. Yeah, you're going through all these things. What is there a next move? Or do you still continue to do what you said in, in the couple podcasts and just day by day? Um, I've taken more of the backseat to planning things. Like I said, I, I do have an idea of where I want to go. And I do know, like, obviously tomorrow I'm going to go to work in that sort of sense of life. But... I know I'm not going to settle down in California. It's too expensive. And I know within the next year I'll be moving back out to Arizona, spend some more time out there. But this business side of vaping, stop touching my feet with your feet. <laughs> that <laughs> this was just business, a podcast, all right. <laughs> uh, the business side of vaping for me will take off. I will start my own clothing line here in the next couple months. I'll be doing more shows, conversating with more people, and uh, it'll just continue to grow from there. So I'm very excited for that. And whoever, whomever I get to share that with, you know, it's, it's very, it's going to be very fun. Um, yeah, just day by day, because realistically for me, I used to be such a big planner on this, and all this stuff started happening. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to take every day as it is, you know, wake up and, and continue to push through it as much as I can. And there are days where it's too much, like obviously with my body and the immune system, I get very fatigued, very weak. Um, so like if I get up and, and or if I, you've seen, if I cough really hard, I can get very weak. Uh, so if I get up and do something really quickly, I get really tired. So there are days where it's, it's pretty bad, but it just comes and goes and you have to take it each day as it's realistically. Yeah. All right. Last words for the podcast. Um, any, any quotes, any, any quotes. words of inspiration? Uh, I mean, I'm not a very inspirational speaker type person. You know, like I said, just. Just keep on sticking to what you know, and when the world's against you and you believe in something, just believe in that, and you have that hope in that one thing. If you guys like to give my personal Instagram a follow, it's uh, at Michael Beasley. 
um you know definitely appreciate that and it's uh, true you guys should check it out it's pretty cool <laughs> it's unique it's different it's very different and just like like i said there's that diversity in the world is what makes the world beautiful so all right perfect well Thank you for being on my podcast, yeah. Mr. Nyland. It's a lot of fun, man. Even though you're my roommate. I feel bad. You know, I really hope people will listen to this and go, oh, fuck. Nah, man. Hopefully with one sword you can inspire others. Hey, that's, that's the goal. You know, just make one person. All right, guys. Well, inspired. yeah, enough. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're done here. Yeah, cut it. <laughs> cut it, cut it. Cut them off. <laughs> Uh, you know what's funny about that is at work and you know, my nickname is Giggles and what do they say about laughter or something like that that um, people with the most pain are coped by uh, laughter laughter yeah if that's the case I must be in a lot of fucking pain buddy just <laughs> drinking helium in a cup all day <laughs> alright guys well once again go follow go follow Michael Beasley on Instagram all one word all one word at Michael Beasley um, thank you for listening. Hopefully, you guys listen through all through this whole story. It's pretty entertaining, pretty <laughs> inspirational. It's kind of sad, but oh, we haven't gotten to the relationships in between. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. But it's very fun to talk about it. I'm an open book. I yeah. don't hide anything, and I'm not ashamed of my past. And uh, it is what it is. You know, you continue to push forward. So I Perfect. appreciate people for hearing me talk. All right. Well, hope you guys have a great night, and thank you for listening. Hey, what's going on, Michael? It's your girl, Angie Ray. Welcome to Anchor. I know you'll love it. Um, if you haven't already fallen in love with it, it's a really, really cool little app. Um, you meet tons of great people. It's like a big family here on Anchor. Um, I mean, there's so much content out there, so I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. Um, also, I can't wait for your brother to jump on. He's If he's already in, in the industry, he's a definitely going to be a, a believer um but yes uh you can stop by my station if you wanted to take a listen or jump in on a couple of segments or just want to just peruse it that's cool it's fine um but i really just want to come out here and tell you welcome and that i hope to hear a lot from you all right bye